Most often when we uh, hear the word saint, saints, we think in the singular. Most often we think of individuals. We think of extraordinary people uh, like St. Patrick, St. Francis. Uh, we think of individuals like Mother Teresa and um, Dorothy Day. And certainly they are uh, saintly. But in the New Testament, the word saints is always plural. In the New Testament, saints are all those people who are striving to follow the way of Jesus. Everyone who's trusting in the power of God's love to make us and to make all things whole and holy. It's always in the plural. And I think it's really important for us to think of saints in the plural because we can't be a saint alone. We can't be a follower of Jesus alone. The hopes and the promises and the challenges of Jesus are just too much. We need others. We need others to help us learn how to forgive. We need others to help us find our way when we don't know what to do next. We need others to help us get through times of deep grief. We need others to help us hold on to hope. And so this morning, I've asked three people from our congregation, uh, Lori Yeary, Les Sonia, and then Karina Zare, to come and talk about uh, one or more of the saints of their lives. And as they share this morning, I invite you to uh, remember and give thanks for all of the saints of your particular life as well. So, Laura, will you come first? I have heard Rod on Sunday mornings share about how we can hear the voice of God through the voices of others who speak with grace, peace, and love. When I was young, it was impressed upon me the importance of peace and love. From the Beatles, all you need is love, to 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the greatest of these is love. And I did not have to look far to see that being lived out. One of the biggest influences for me in my spiritual life was my father, Lawrence Junt. Everyone called him Larry. I was named after him, and I was also born on his birthday. My dad had a great sense of humor, a beaming smile, and a big heart for others. My dad lived a life in service of others. He spoke and acted with grace, peace, and love. He showed me and my siblings what Jesus truly meant by love your neighbor. He would quietly, and sometimes without any explanation, go out of his way to help someone. He would not lecture us kids about why we should help others or why they needed help. He just showed us through his actions. He would drop everything for a friend or neighbor in need, help them move, jump a car battery, whatever was needed, teaching us that actions speak louder than words. Once, he saw someone standing at an intersection holding a sign asking for food. And while our family of six was in the van driving to or from somewhere, after he saw the person, he promptly changed his plans and drove straight to Fred Meyer's, bought a couple sacks of groceries, and drove back to the person giving them the groceries, showing us that it's better to give than to receive. In any of his acts of kindness, there was never any pity. He did not look down on others. He showed true empathy. There was only love. It was like in all of these interactions, he was truly living out Matthew 25, 40. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. A verse I'm not sure he ever memorized, but he knew by heart. He embodied kindness, generosity, love, 
and grace without asking for any pat on the back or award for his good deeds. To him, it was just a part of life, as basic as breathing. My dad was a friend to everyone. He would never leave a conversation without finding out the person's name, their kids' names, their dogs' names, place of birth, and what they were doing next weekend. He made people feel special. It seemed so simple to him, so effortless. Even though he had his own challenges in life, he pushed through and just kept on loving his neighbor any chance he got. He had a way of spreading kindness and love everywhere he went. My dad enjoyed the quiet, slower side of life, painting with watercolors, fishing, camping on Mount Hood under big trees next to a little creek, but mostly going to the Oregon coast and any time of year. Now, when I go and stand on those vast sandy beaches, looking out into the endless ocean with its powerful and beautiful waves experiencing God's awesomeness and peace, I am reminded of God's endless love for me, and I think of my dad. Morgan Freeman is known for his distinctive deep voice and various roles in a wide variety of film genres. Throughout his career, spanning over five decades, he has received numerous accolades, including an Academy Award, a Screen Actors Guild Award, and a Golden Globe Award. He did not have the privilege of skyrocketing to fame at the very start of his career and eventually got his big break when he turned 50. On June 1st, 2023, he celebrated his 86th birthday. I have always admired Morgan Freeman. Some things he has said have been meaningful to me. Us and them. We divide ourselves into us and them in many different ways. By nationality, religion, gender, or which team you support. Some of these divisions are harmless, but others expose the darkest side of human nature. Divisions that once seemed confined to history are still with us. In fact, they appear to be on the rise. If you sit down with your worst enemy for five minutes, you will find something in common. If you sit for 10, you will find even more in common. If you build upon those commonalities and that relationship, it will turn into a friendship. And then those trivial things that you have in contrast, such as skin color, will begin to matter less and less. When you open your heart to someone, you give them the opportunity to open their heart to you. An open heart is an open mind. It is hard to have hope these days. There is a new generation joining the hate groups and they no longer have the need to hide behind masks, hoods, and robes. Around the world, leaders have come into power 
who promise division, not unity. We need only to look at history to see the horror of where we might be heading. The motto of the United States of America, e pluribus unum, means out of many, one. One nation rises from a diverse collection of states, and today, many Americans regard their country's ethnic diversity with pride. But there are many people who feel threatened by the immigrants coming in. The story of us has to happen, and it has to include the story of them. This has to happen, but can only happen one step at a time, billions of times. Martin Luther King's message bends towards justice, growth, inclusivity, and intelligence. But it is a rocky road and always has been. All of us have a complicated way of identifying who we are. Who is we? Who is us? And who is them? This is the oldest question in human society. So I leave you with one question. Who are you? And what do you stand for? I've always struggled with religion and faith. I grew up in the Mennonite church and was never particularly rebellious, but uh, struggled to find faith and connection when I saw so much hatred and suffering in the world. Many times perpetuated through the actions of the very churches, the people that said, God is love. Despite my initial skepticism in people, I've continued attending church to help guide me in my faith. Although over the years, my faith has leaned most heavily on the Holy Spirit whom I feel most when I'm in relationship with nature. The times when I have most relied on my faith for healing, for guidance, have been in my experiences with non-human beings. The story that I bring today is one where I never thought my faith would play a part. It was of my first hunting experience. Now, I'm fairly hesitant to share this today in a Mennonite church in Portland, Oregon, but here I am. I was in graduate school at Goshen College's Mary Lee Environmental Education Center, uh, studying for my master's in environmental education. For one of my projects, I decided to write an account of my experience learning how to forage for wild edible foods to use as a tool for learning. As I was discussing this with my advisor, talking about what possible plants and mushrooms I could forage, he commented that the number one wild food of the region that I might want to learn about uh, was white-tailed deer. Would I want to experience hunting for deer as part of my project, he asked, as he was a hunter himself and could teach me. As someone who cares about our environment, but who also enjoys eating meat, the prospect of eating sustainably hunted wild game instead of industrial meat from the store was attractive. 
the biggest problem was that I would have to use a gun. I'd have to use violence. Although one could argue that there's violence involved in the environmental degradation and labor practices of the meat industry. As I was playing through this moral balancing act, I figured there would be something to be learned by going through the experience, no matter the outcome. Despite my fear and loathe of firearms, I decided to try hunting using a rifle. The comedic irony of learning how to use a gun at a Mennonite institution helped this. <laughs> what I didn't know was that the process of learning how to hunt had much less to do with the firearm, but with the decision to actively take the life of another animal. <laughs> I was afraid. How would I know I was making a good decision? What if something went wrong? What if I made a bad shot that would injure but not kill the deer? Luckily, hunting is a process that requires a lot of time so that I could sit with my thoughts. It's a lot of watching and waiting. It was sitting in the tree stand, feeling the cold seep into my fingers and toes, as I waited and waited. It was getting the chance to watch a flock of wild turkeys clumsily flap their way into their roosting spots into the trees for the night. It was watching the golden light filter through the quivering leaves. It was praying in the moment that everything would be okay. The moment did present itself. I made the shot. I didn't know it until later, but I made the shot through the heart. It was the best shot I could have made. When I found this out, I could only feel gratitude. As humans, we need to eat. Something has to die for us to live. There is a weight to living, and death is another side of life. What I learned is that even when my faith may feel small, if I am willing to show up, be ready to learn, even when I don't understand why something Maybe an experience that I have to go through. I don't have to carry that weight alone. <laughs>